The debate over vaccine certificates is heating up in the UK and across Europe. We'll discuss the merits and any potential ethical pitfalls. And as lockdowns ease and the weather warms, restaurants will soon be taking the first steps towards opening their doors. But do takeaways and recipe boxes have a future? Lil Nas X has once again reached number one in the United States with his latest hit Montero, but it's his music video that is attracting the most attention. We'll be weighing into the debate. Monocle's editors are here to discuss those stories today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. It is Wednesday, the 7th of April, and I'm Monocle's news editor, Chris Chermack. Joining me today here at Midori House in London are two of Monocle 24's esteemed producers, Paige Reynolds and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Paige, let's start with you. Welcome back to the late edition. How are you feeling today? Thanks, Chris. I've had a bit of a late edition hiatus, so it's, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be in studio with everyone. And I'm quite looking forward to today's topics, particularly our last topic. But yeah, we'll get there. We, we will get there very, very <laughs> soon. Fernando, uh, you'll be looking forward to that topic as well. I feel like a little sad that you missed our conversation last Wednesday about Eurovision. You've been doing plenty on that as well. But we, you know, we have some music for you today, too. You know, if there's a little bit of popular culture, I am in. And I, and I have to say, Chris, I did spoke in length about our third topic with Paige. So I think we are ready for that one, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, I wish we could just get straight to that exactly. now. We're all very eager. But uh, before that, let's do something slightly more serious. The debate over the merits of vaccine passports is gathering steam as countries around the world debate how to kickstart travel and public gatherings. Denmark became the first European country to introduce a form of vaccine certificates today, while in the UK, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said that proof of vaccines will be required for major public events. The opposition Labour Party has opposed the idea, calling them discriminatory. But the party's one-time standard bearer, Tony Blair, disagrees. I spoke to the former Labour Prime Minister for Monocle magazine's April issue. Here's a little of what he had to say on the subject. It seems to be obvious that countries, if, for example, you're going to open up your tourist industry, other tourists will want to know what's the disease status or the vaccination status of the people I'm about to share a hotel with, I'm about to share a restaurant with. So I think this is inevitable. My point is, if it is inevitable, put in place a proper system now. Don't let a patchwork of different systems, different processes of validation grow up topsy-turvy because you just find a lot of complexity and a lot of confusion. And you will also probably facilitate fraud. So you need proper validated systems. And the best thing is for the developed countries of the world to agree such a system between themselves. Or, for example, we're working on a program in Africa to allow a a common travel pass between uh, African countries. These things are going to happen. So my point is, get ahead of the curve and make sense of it. That was Tony Blair, whose interview aired earlier today on The Globalist. You can also read it in Monocle's April issue. Paige, to start with you on this, much of the debate uh, here in the UK has been really around just what vaccine passports will be required for, what they should be used for, whether you'll have to show proof, you know, even to something like going down to your local pub or whether it's just going to be for major public events. And also whether, you know, this might be discriminatory perhaps against some people who perhaps weren't able to get a vaccine or choose not to get a vaccine for that matter. 
What do you think? Do you think it's necessary? Would it make you feel safer going out in public? Chris, I think this is such an interesting question. And like what Tony Blair was saying, it is kind of inevitability, particularly within the international system. And I think that's a really important division that we make between the two. I think in terms of international travel, it's inevitable that, or not inevitable, but it seems a little bit fairer that when you're doing something like travelling abroad, which for a lot of people is something that's optional and not something that kind of is to do with their everyday life, it does seem like we're going to need some kind of system in place for that, particularly as we were just saying, countries are starting to put these in place, right? So let's get ahead of the curve. Let's get a system in place before we kind of have to uh, sort of work out how all these systems work together. However, in terms of doing things like just going down to the pub, it's really difficult, you know, because I think at the moment, yes, the UK has vaccinated an incredible amount of people. I think there's 37 million people now have had their first dose. Um, on average, England has vaccinated 93% of those who are aged 50 and over. So it kind of seems fair that, you know, the people who've now been through that vaccination system, there should be some kind of certification, there should be some kind of reopening of the economy. Of course, that's what everyone's really gunning for. We need to get that started again. But there are so many logistical and ethical concerns. Um, the one I'm sort of most disturbed by actually is how divisive this move could be, um, particularly in terms of uh, those who already harbour vaccine hesitancy um, and particularly uh, in regards to people of kind of ethnic minority communities. Um, so these communities often already have a bit more of a hesitancy towards um, vaccinations. Um, they also are a bit more sceptical about kind of government policy in general. Often it's felt that it's something that's happening to them and not for them. So is this kind of government imposed system really going to put their priorities and their needs at the top? Perhaps not. Um, so you kind of get the system where you think, okay, who, who are vaccine passports really serving and how are they actually going to further could have sowed division in a society that already is kind of divided along those lines. And if we talk about young people as well, I mean, from my perspective, I don't know when I'm going to get my first dose. We're hoping by July. It already feels like the system in the UK is kind of weighted towards the older generation. You know, they are often voting on things, making decisions about our lives that are kind of, you know, that we don't really get as much of a say in. Um, so as a kind of personal gripe, as you can tell, I don't particularly, I don't particularly want to be sort of stopped from doing things um, uh, as a kind of younger person when I haven't really had the same opportunity yet, perhaps to, to get vaccinated or anything like that. And there's also concerns about fraud, about privacy, um, and also what it kind of will do to uh, vaccine hesitancy. Some people say it will incentivize people to get the vaccination. However, However, you know, anti-vaxxers might see this as kind of government coercion. It will kind of build their kind of, I suppose, value system or their kind of ideas in regards to vaccinations. It'll make them kind of even stronger, perhaps. So there's a lot going on here, Chris. I don't quite know where I stand, but I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit hesitant towards towards the vaccine passport. Also, I mean, look how test and trace went. It didn't go too well, did it? <laughs> That's very <laughs> In true. In terms yes. of an actual system. <laughs> That's fair to say. And it's interesting to hear you bring up the the generational debate, if you will. Uh, it's kind of funny how things change, I suppose, after a year where the elderly generation was the one that had to be more careful. This could be sort of the reverse yeah. of that in an interesting way. But uh, Fernando, I want to come to you on this. I mean, you know... Both you and I have family abroad, um, you know, across the Atlantic, uh, for that matter. And, you know, it seems like, as Paige was mentioning there, vaccine passports by the very name are really about also opening up international travel here in the UK. We're all kind of looking to this date 
of the 17th of May. Do you think, I mean, will, will you be prepared to get on a flight without a vaccine passport? Is that what you would be looking for? Uh, Chris, that's a really interesting question. I kind of agree with Paige because it's such difficult topic to think about it. It's not that I am against vaccine passports. I know the countries are doing their best, you know, especially countries that are doing well, like the, the UK, perhaps Denmark as well. But as a Brazilian national, you know, I know that there's been a lot of delays with the vaccine. And, and I know probably Brazil is definitely not the priority to be in any list of kind of a green listed country to go. I also have family in Kenya, which is another country that is on the red list here in the UK. So it is a bit of a struggle. I, I understand, you know, the idea of vaccine passports, but I do worry about the future in the next months if the world is going to be more divided about the have and the have nots. And we're talking here about, uh, you know, vaccination, which in a way you almost can do a correlation between poorer countries and richer countries. So I just worry. I don't want this to be something that is permanent. And at the same time, it's very worrying that a lot of countries in Africa, for example, they might not be vaccinated this year at all. You know, so... But again, do I have a better solution for that? No, I don't. Uh, but I, I hope that is not the only solution as well, because at some point, you know, people do need to see family. And I do believe in some controls. I mean, sure, you need to be tested when you arrive in the country, tested when you leave the country. I'm not against. I think you need to have some sort of control. But I'm just not sure if vaccine passports is the solution for everything. There are certainly no easy solutions that we're going to solve <laughs> in uh, 10 minutes here on the late edition. <laughs> But next here on the Late Edition, as lockdowns start to ease in the spring and summer, restaurants are, of course, looking forward to restarting in-person dining. Here in the UK, outdoor dining will be allowed from next Monday. But what about all those takeaways, deliveries, recipe boxes that restaurants have come to rely on over the past year? Well, just before we went to air, we premiered this week's episode of The Entrepreneurs, where host Daniel Bage spoke to Sebastian Fogg, of the restaurant consultancy Montana Fog. He had this to say about the future of ready meals. We used to go to the store or to the supermarket and we'd buy our, people would buy, you know, ready meals. Restaurants are taking this to the next level. Certainly not living in, in a city, now living in the countryside, there are no delivery options where we live. And now the menu box idea where these restaurants have teamed up with other countrywide delivery partners. I can get a three Michelin star restaurant to cook me a meal or prepare me a meal in Northumberland and send it to me. And in Kent, where I happen to be, I can heat it up or cook it and I'm in Long Clune. It's not quite the same, but it's been really important for them and a huge revenue earner for some people. And whether you're Blacklock, uh, really cool, trendy, accessible, or whether you're Claridge's and the Lobster Wellington, £75 a head, it's across the board. And I think that will carry on. I really do see that being something where it might have been a bit panicky and now it's this is definitely going to be part one of our revenue streams. Sebastian Fogg there speaking to us earlier on the entrepreneurs page. We've seen delivery companies sort of profit massively in the past year of us all being in lockdown. But yet, you know, we don't really know how uh, the future of this will go. We've seen Deliveroo and its IPO not really do as well as many of us might have expected to give just one example, I mean, do you think there is a place for 
deliveries, uh, food boxes. We talked about this earlier. You're not particularly a fan yourself, but where where are we going with this? Where are restaurants going forward? You know what, Chris? I feel in kind of a state of cognitive dissonance about this because, uh, you know, uh, my Deliveroo levels last year were, were really off the hook. I mean, if they didn't quite get the IPO they were after, I think I might be buoying them from my personal <laughs> finances at this stage because it was that kind of, oh my goodness, if I am going to be at home having breakfast, lunch and dinner and having to make those myself every day of the week, that's 21 meals a week. I don't have that in me, you know. So getting a Deliveroo maybe once or twice a week, particularly from a from a from you know some kind of nice restaurant that was in, in my local area. I was living in sort of southeast London at the time. Loads of amazing food places around there. And it did feel a bit like you were also you know, helping them stay afloat in a really difficult time. So it's like a little bit of charity, not having to do the cooking, perfect. But I just, I'm so desperate to be in that actual environment of a restaurant again. You know, it's it's the occasion of it all. It's choosing where you're going to go. It's kind of even travelling there, kind of getting a drink somewhere nearby first, going going in, kind of having the ambience, you know, having that kind of... I'm, I'm, I like to do a bit of a geographical, I think. I like being in the office when I'm at work. I like kind of, you know, being in the studio when I'm writing music. I, li- I like a sense of place, I think, is really important. And I honestly, I'm, I'm really surprised that, 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 that there's such a kind of um, uh, confidence about uh, revenue streams in, in, in the meal box because it just, particularly when you're spending that much money, it just wouldn't feel the same for me. I don't think putting a £75 meal in the oven for a little while, do you know, I just can't, I can't quite get my head around it. But, you know, the hospitality industry has had obviously a massive hit. So, you know, if, if they can make a bit more money, then that's great. That's great for them, but not for me. <laughs> it's my overall answer. But, but I agree, those boxes, they're funny because I don't even know how to fry an egg. I mean, so even if there's instructions, I'll be like, oh my God, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's true. That, that's a fair point. Well, I mean, talk a little more, Fernando, about how uh, your culinary experience went over the past year. I mean, you know, as Paige says there, I think we're all so eager to get back to that in-person experience, the ambiance that goes with it. We can do that at least outdoors starting on Monday. Are you are you looking forward to that? It sounds like you're going to leave that culinary experiment behind you. Oh, very much so. And I, first of all, I have to say I'm quite spoiled because funnily enough, my partner loves cooking and, and he cooks every day and he's a good chef. But at the same time, we were discussing there's certain types of food that you can only eat well, like in a restaurant, to be honest. Like I know a lot of people have been making bread, but, you know, I think I prefer from a proper bakery, if you know what I mean. I prefer a nice cocktail from a good bar and uh, especially meat, I have to say. I think restaurants do meat very well. We had a disastrous, we tried to do duck at home. I know it's not a very easy <laughs> meat to do. It wasn't very good. And I'm sorry, I told my partner, but I was like, let's wait for to go to a good Chinese, you know. it's So I really cannot wait for that as well. And boxes don't work for me. But if it's a good string revenue for them... Good on that. Sebastian Fogg, if you're listening, uh, we all hope that <laughs> you so get sorry. a great revenue stream, but we're sorry for our opinions here on this show. Well, well, Chris, would you get one? Have you have you indulged in any in any restaurant boxes? You know, I have in, I have not this year. Um, okay. I used to do it in, in Germany. I enjoyed there was a place where you could actually go and see the recipes on the table and then bring those recipes home with you along mm. with all the ingredients and the recipe cards and that kind of thing. And that felt like this interesting mix of sort of in-person... Uh, you know, go actually going somewhere and then bringing something back. So mm. I kind of liked that type of idea, I suppose, and I could see a future for some of that. But as you say, seventy-five pounds. Uh, I'm I'm not so sure about that yeah. one either. I have yeah. to say, we'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll leave that one there. 
And now, though, finally, to reach our topic of the day that our guests are excited about here on the late edition, U.S. rapper Lil Nas X has followed the success of his number one hit, Old Town Road, with a new hit in Montero, which opened at number one on the U.S. charts this week. The song is a celebration of gay sexuality, but it's courted controversy in the U.S. in particular, with some conservative commentators decrying the music video in particular which features a now infamous lap dance with the devil. Now, obviously, we'll have to let you Google the video itself, but let's have a little listen to the song. Call me when you want, call me when you need, call me in the morning, I'll be on the way. Call me when you want, call me when you need, call me out by your name, I'll be on the way. Forget the music video. There was a lot of dancing going yes. on in this studio. <laughs> it was immediate. To clip. <laughs> Fernando, to start with you on this one, the music video to this track has been viewed some 100 million times on YouTube. And really, it kind of helped it to reach number one. Uh, it feels like it's been quite a while since a music video has drawn almost more attention than a song itself. Does Lil Nas know something that we don't? Well, he knows he's a very smart man with an incredible marketing strategy. And I have to say, I do like musicians that are also good at marketing. I mean, my favorite, my queen, Madonna, I mean, she did it that in the 80s very well. And it's good for him because, you know, after Old Town Road, which was number one for 19 weeks in the US, it's quite hard actually to have a follow-up uh, that is a number one as well. And the video clip, I have to say, Chris, it is entertaining. I mean, Lap Dancing with the Devil, I think it's fun he's being a bit cheeky as well and here it is i mean he's 21 openly gay as well i think that's quite interesting and and as you rightly said the song talks about gay sexuality in a very open way i mean it's not often you have a song that is number one that deals with those topics and the video clip it's so entertaining i, I i've watched many times probably i have a million of those 100 million views there on youtube <laughs> or something like that page do you have the other one million of the 100 million views i mean it's it's, uh, I will say it's been interesting to watch uh, Little Nas X also uh, respond to the controversy that his music video has courted. It really seems like he was ready for this debate and maybe even welcomed it. Yeah, it's this sort of uh, vintage story, really, of moral panic, isn't it? That I think, you know, these kind of songs and videos have kind of set off... Um, for many, many years, I mean, like your favourite, just talking about Madonna in the 80s, remember her Like a Prayer video, and yeah. I think Pepsi then pulled the, her commercial over it because it was, you know, burning crosses and everything, you know, it got everyone in this uproar, and this kind of feels like the sort of 2021 version of that. Um, and, you know, kind of what you were saying about his marketing strategy, his sort of social media presence and strategy is also just super sharp, you know. He's kind of coming back at all these commentators in a sort of faster and funnier way. Um, I believe there was a uh, governor of... South Dakota, Christine Nome, who tweeted, our kids are being told this kind of product is okay. This was about the Nike Satan shoes that kind of went with uh, the, the music video. And she says, you know, what uh, the, these shoes are told, we're told these shoes are exclusive, um, but what's more exclusive? They're God-given eternal soul. We're fighting for the soul of our nation. And she really told, she turned it into this big kind of like soliloquy. And he just, just tweeted back and saying, you're a whole governor and you're on here tweeting about some shoes. Do your job, you know? So he's really kind of coming back at these people very directly and just saying like, this is my answer 
are I'm happy that it's causing this he's happy that it's causing this kind of reaction I think because I think you know as a kind of gay black man in America he wants to be making these statements and he wants to be heard um, and he kind of has also been quite reflective he said in, in one of his sort of uh, Twitter kind of reflections on it I spent my entire teenage years hating myself because of what Christianity taught us about homosexuality so I hope that you're mad you stay mad and feel the same anger you've taught me to have towards myself that's really you know that is interesting he's really having interesting conversations and I think that you know it's it's not just some kind of big garish video that's trying to provoke it's actually very smart and to kind of go on to the references I mean they're amazing in the video there's a really good uh, time article and there's all these kind of classic scholars going absolutely mad about it because of actually how many different sort of types of kind of Greco-Roman culture it has in it um, particularly kind of medieval Christianity and references to that he's got you know he's got the Garden of Eden um, this idea of original sin he's turned that on its head we've got a quote from Plato's symposium um, in one part of it about how men are split in two and how they kind of go about their lives trying to find their other halves and it's been debated in kind of queer academic circles for ages about exactly what he's meaning by that is that kind of a you know reference towards homosexuality is it about self-love he's got the Greek mythological figure Ganymede at one point we've got Satan we've got hell We've got it all. Oh, it's yeah. all in there. It's really rich and it's so and it's quite short as well. I remember putting the song on my running playlist and it was only two minutes and something and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to put this on repeat quite a lot. And but I just really I just really like it when I think, you know, these artists that, really young artists, well, he's what, 21, are kind of berated by these sort of older figures when actually they put so much thought and energy and time and creativity into their product and I actually just think it's, yeah, really remarkable. It's a very interesting point. Maybe, Fernando, you can pick up on that, but the, just the fact that he is not not just courting controversy for the sake of it, perhaps he's actually trying to send a very purposeful message. Precisely, that's what I was going to say. And it's nice that, uh, you know, Paige mentioned everything that is happening in the video, the behind the scenes, the little kind of references. Because some people say, oh, let's just make a, contra- a song that is all about controversy. Not really, not everyone can pull this off. So, that, you know, kudos to Leonas X. And I think he's not the only one, at least this year. I think another person that, I mean, I would like to mention here is Cardi B. You know, she had uh, the song WAP. I know it's you know, very controversial, very sexual. But again, it was a song about liberation as well. And not everyone can pull that off and have, you know, he doesn't have 100 million views for nothing. Clearly, there's something behind that connected with people. Absolutely. It connected with everyone here in the studio. I can say that for sure. (laughs) That, though, is all the time we have for today's late edition. A big thank you to Paige Reynolds and Fernando Augusto Pacheco and to our studio managers, Steph Chungu and Sam Impey. The late edition returns at the same time tomorrow, but in the meantime, do be sure to listen to the brand new episode of The Entrepreneurs, which premiered here on Monocle 24 a short while ago. I'm Chris Termack here at Midori House in London. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.